you can have a seat. As you're having a seat, pull out your Bible. Turn to James for the very last time in this series. James chapter 5. I knew a young man once who was so passionate and committed to Jesus that he was willing to move from the United States to a country where to be a follower of Christ was to literally take your life into your own hands. He just cared so much about the greatness and name of Jesus that that this is what was in his heart. In fact, he was so committed to it that he didn't bother finishing college, just dropped out because he knew what he wanted to do with his life. He knew what God was calling him to do, and, and so he started to make these plans. But if you, if you fast forward to the time when he would have graduated from that hypothetical college uh, that he didn't finish, not only was he not in that country that had been in his heart, he did not even consider himself a follower of Jesus at that time, had completely walked away from all of it. You know, we, we've all heard the stories, maybe we've been the story of, of the young person who grew up in the Christian home underneath the umbrella of Christian parents connected to a Christian church, and went off to college, got a little freedom, began to question things that uh, had never questioned before, and really had a time when uh, essentially we walked away from that faith. You know somebody who did that, or maybe even that's, that's what you did. I just joined Facebook recently, 15 years too late. Uh, your, your grandma and I joined Facebook at the same time. <laughs> Not totally into it yet. I, I don't even have a profile pic. I'm just that gray silhouette. So if somebody with the gray silhouette asks you to be their friend, it's either me or an insane person. But on Facebook, if you've been on there, you you've seen people that this has happened to. You know, there was a... A time in their life where they were posting a lot of scripture on Facebook, on social media, and they had the beautiful picture of the waterfall with some verse that had to do with water, and it was picturesque, and they would post the picture in the morning, of course, with their Bible opened on a, a nice table, and the, the cup of hot coffee with the steam coming off of it, and they've got four pins there, you know, they got a red one and a blue one and a black one, and, and then they, they, they did a collage with it, you know, so they took four pictures of their Bible from different angles, they planned it out, then they put the right filter on it, and then they put it on Facebook for you to see, and they were always inviting people to church, and they were talking about all these things, and, and you've not seen that from them at all, because it's very common in someone else's story, in our story, for us to, what James is going to call, stray from the truth. This is what he says in verse 19. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. Just as proof that this idea of straying from the truth is not just a 21st century problem or even a 20th century problem. It's an ancient problem. It's a historic problem. I want you to turn with me, if you can, quickly to Colossians chapter 4. This is how the Apostle Paul finishes his letter. So he's 
sat down, wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. He cares about them. This is how he finishes it. Verse 14, Luke, the loved physician, and Demas greet you. So Paul is, he's saying his goodbyes and he's saying, oh, by the way, uh, Luke, the physician, and Demas greet you. They, they want to say hello to and then turn over to Philemon to the right. Very small book. This is, again, the Apostle Paul writing to Philemon. This is how he finishes his letter. Verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. So two of the Apostle Paul's letters, he finishes with, oh yeah, by the way, Luke wants to say hi. You remember him? He's the doctor. And Demas also wants me to say hello to you. 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul's very last letter, one of the very last things that he wrote down before he passed on into heaven. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon, he's telling Timothy, for Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world. Demas was with Paul when he wrote the letter to the Colossians. He was with Paul when he was writing this letter to Philemon. He was all in. He was in with Paul. He was in on the mission, but something happened. He loved the present world too much and he had deserted. This is a historic problem. As long as there has been truth, people have been straying from the truth. And James tells us what our role is in it. James chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, if any among you So this is a family problem. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples that he is going to build his church. And when Jesus went to construct the church, he didn't construct a spiritual business. He didn't construct a uh, a spiritual organization. He constructed a family. He built a family with brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles. This is what the church is. It's a family It's not a spiritual machine. You can't just pull someone off of the street, bring them in, pull a few levers, and it spits out a fully mature disciple. It doesn't work like that. He has built a family. And so within the family, there's been a problem. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, the truth here is the full revelation of God, which reaches its peak and culmination in the life, death, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus, if any among you strays from the truth. And remember, uh, James uh, didn't write his letter to these churches in English. He wrote it in Greek because that was the common and commercial language of the day. So the English version that we have is a translation. And that original word that James first wrote down for strays, it could be interpreted two ways. It could, it could mean to be led astray or it could mean to go astray. So some of us today, we would categorize ourselves, if we were being honest, that we are astray, that we've wandered from the truth, that we've drifted off. Some of us got there on accident and some of us got there on purpose. You can stray on accident. You can be led astray. You could just be following somebody. Somebody has a tremendous amount of influence in your life right now and you weren't paying attention and you just followed them one step at a time. But by following them, it led you away from the truth. You, 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 you didn't do it on purpose. It was really just an accident. Or we can do it with purpose. It can be rebellion. Maybe your story is I did grow up in that Christian home underneath of that Christian umbrella 
of my Christian parents connected to a Christian church. And as soon as I got some freedom of my own where I could make the decisions and mom and dad weren't making the decisions anymore, oh, I went astray and I went astray on purpose. I rebelled against that. He says, if any among you goes astray, three ways that we can stray from the truth. First, we stray from the truth by believing something that's false. Two, by refusing to believe something that's true. And three, from our lives not aligning with the truth. Doing things that don't align with the truth. We can go astray by believing something is false. If you go home later today and you just Google Jesus, you just put Jesus in the search engine, it's going to spit out some pretty interesting results. One, you're going to find out that Jesus has a Twitter account, actually. He's very popular on Twitter. Twitter. Lots of followers. He has a Twitter account. This, this, but the first entry that you'll see is Jesus' Wikipedia page. I don't know if you have a Wikipedia page. That's my goal in life is to have my own Wikipedia page. So, so if somebody would start some of that, I'll give you my bio later on after church. Right? Jesus has his own Wikipedia page. And on there, if you're just reading through it, you'll get to the portion where it talks about the Christ myth theory. So in the 1800s, there were these professors and scholars, and they began to analyze the stories of Jesus, and, and they just, their theory was that he's just made up. He's just a fictional character that people have taken too seriously, and he has all these followers, but he was never actually a real person. Now, history actually debunks that. Not even Christian history, just real history debunks that. But it's a real theory on Jesus' Wikipedia page. So you could choose today because you're free to believe whatever you want to believe. So one thing somebody can't force on you. You could go and believe that. And by believing something that is false, you would be straying from the truth. But we also stray from the truth when we refuse to believe things that are true. You know, the Pharisees in the Gospels, they're always positioning themselves as Jesus' enemies. And they refuse to believe and even consider that he might be the Messiah, the prophesied Savior of God's people. They just refuse to believe it. And we read the stories and we say to these Pharisees, how could you miss this? It's so clear. How could you know all of the prophecies from the Old Testament and then watch the life of Jesus unfold and not believe it? It's because at some point they just made up their mind that they were going to refuse to Refuse to believe it, even if it were true. And we also stray from the truth when we make decisions and do things that don't align with the truth. Jesus is Lord. The scripture tells us that. The scripture tells us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. We have his version of right and wrong in his kingdom of which he is Lord laid out for us. Many of us believe that and yet we go, nah, nah, I don't. I know that Jesus is Lord and I know he's laid out right and wrong in his kingdom and he has the authority to do it, but I'm just not going to do that part. Listen, ignoring the truth is rejecting the truth. Ignoring the truth is straying from the truth. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death. So who strays? A brother among them, it says, but in verse 20, it's described as a sinner. 
So which is it? Is it a sinner or is it a brother? Well, it can be both. So we're finishing the book of James today. I'd encourage you sometime this afternoon after you take your Sunday afternoon nap. That's your God-given right, by the way. Don't let anybody take that from you. Let's just end right now. Let's just end. Let's just go home. Get our Sunday afternoon naps. Um, so after your nap, why don't you pick up your Bible and read through the book of James. It's only going to take you 15 minutes. Won't, won't take you very long at all. It's very, very short. And when you finish the book of James, you're going to know two things. Number one, I do believe in Jesus. I'm confident of that. And I'm also confident that I am a sinner. Because remember all the things that he's confronted us about the last nine months. He's confronted us about our selfishness with our money. He's confronted us about our words. He's confronted us about our anger. He's confronted us about loving the world. He's confronted us about our pride. He's confronted us about not practicing what we preach. He's confronted us again about our words. He's confronted us again about our money. He's confronted us again about our words and again about our money. Over and over and over again, you can't read this book and, and not go, I have sin. We're confronted with it. He holds the mirror up to us. So it is possible that James is talking about just one type of person, a brother among them who is a sinner. That could happen to any of us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, uh, it says, this is what it says, We must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Anybody can drift away If they don't pay attention. If you are not vigilant, you will veer. Could happen to any of us. So a brother among us could be us, a sinner. But it's more than just, ah, I made a mistake. It's it's more than just, I, I let that conversation drift over into some slander and malice, and I feel bad about that, and I I wish I had done that. God, would you forgive me? It's different than that. It's different than I made a mistake, and I want to make that right. It's I made a mistake, and I don't care to make it right, and I want to choose to make the mistake again. That's what it means to stray from the truth. James also could be referencing somebody who is not, in fact, a believer, who does not have eternal life, but is still among the church. There may be many of us this morning and you are disconnected from genuine faith in Jesus. You may say, well, I'm here all the time. I come to church. I mean, who would come to church if they weren't a Christian? A lot of people would actually. Being around the family is not the same as being in the family. So you just ask yourself today, am I confident? Do I have confidence that I'm actually in the family or am I just around the family? Am I confident that I am connected to eternal life and not just friends with people who have eternal life. Turns a sinner from the error of his way. He said, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And James is talking about someone who is straying from the right way and into a way of error. Here's what I think this morning. I think most of us want to end up in the right place. Most of us, we want to be in heaven in the presence of God. Most of us want God to be happy that we are there. When we show up, we don't have to sneak in. We want God to be pleased with us when we're there. 
And along the way, we want to have helped people. I think that's in all of our hearts. We want to be in God's presence in heaven. We want God to be glad that we're there. And we want, at the end of our life, for people to go, they blessed me, they encouraged me, they were kind to me, they made a difference in my life. I think all of us want to end up in the right place, but we just want to take the scenic route to get there. In my family, we call that the long cut. It's the opposite of the shortcut. I like to take the long cut sometimes when we visit my family in Missouri, especially when it's just me and one of the kids and we kind of have our time and we'll drive through Arkansas just because it's pretty and it's different. You know. It's the long cut, it's not the shortcut. And many of us have done that. Many people you know have done that. The, the, our whole life, people have been preaching at us. This is the shortcut. This is the shortcut. This is the right way. This is the right way. This is the right way. And every once in a while, you want to go, no, I want to take the long way around. I want to take the scenic route. I want to end up in the right place at the right address in the right way. But I want to take my way to get there. But if you are committed to the destination, you have to be committed to the mile markers along the way. If God has a plan for the end, God has a plan for the journey. He doesn't want you to take the scenic route to get there. There are no self-selected detours in his way. Sometimes the reality is, is the long way is the wrong way. We have many older saints with us this morning I'll let you decide if you're in that category but I think some of those older saints would come and and testify that they bear the scars emotionally spiritually maybe even physically of the scenic way they ended up in the right place but they took the wrong way to get there the scenic way sometimes isn't so scenic But if there's a right destination, then there is a right road to get there. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death. Now that can mean physical death for the believer. It's a crazy story referenced in the scripture in 1 Corinthians. These Corinthians, they're so out of control. Their their lives are not aligned with their faith at all. And that spilled over into the way that they shared the Lord's Supper, shared communion. You know, they, they would come and, and, and rip the bread and break the bread and, and take the cup. They did that same thing that we do, but they came in such a cavalier and cold manner, disconnected from Jesus, that it actually was a serious issue. First Corinthians uh, chapter 11, this is what the Apostle Paul writes to, to them. He says in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in the way he should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, meaning without recognizing what Jesus has done, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you. So he's saying, the Apostle Paul, writing to this church, listen, you guys have a lot of illness going around. You've been thinking it's the cold. You've been not using your hand sanitizer and you've been spreading the germs. The reality is you are all sick because you have been taking communion incorrectly. 
And then he takes it a step further. And many have fallen asleep. Now that's a different kind of falling asleep than what some of you are doing right now. This is, this is died. This is, they, they've died. Believers, followers of Jesus, in the church, members of the church, serving. They died. Because they had strayed from the truth. So a sinner who is turned around from the error of his way, a brother among us who is turned around because of the error of his way will save his life and will cover a multitude of sins. So what do we do when we see someone in the family of God straying from the truth? Well, look what he says. Whoever turns him back, verse 19, and he should know that whoever turns a sinner. So there's this turning around. On Wednesday, I, I needed to, to get into town for work. And, and so I had to get to 290. And normally, from my house to 290 is a four-minute drive, which is an incredible grace gift of God that it only takes me four minutes to then sit in an hour of traffic. So it's, it's amazing. So I had to get there. I, I know the way I, I start pulling out of my neighborhood, I'm headed the normal way, and as soon as I turn on to my normal way, I mean, just cars just backed up as far as my eyes can see, which means one of two things. It means, number one, the water is so deep there, everybody's going super slow through it, or it means that you can't pass and everybody has to turn around. So I see that. I have zero patience. I'm always that guy that's like, oh, there's traffic on the freeway. I'm going to make 100 million turns and then be 30 minutes later than everybody else on the freeway to my destination. I don't learn my lesson, so I'm like, I'm too busy to wait in line. And so I try to take an alternative route, and I make three or four turns and drive about a mile, and I run into a sign that says, high water, turn around, can't go. So I do another way, three or four turns, another mile, meet another sign, big pile of water, Turn around, high water, go the other way. It takes me 40 minutes to get to 290. A four-minute drive takes me 40 minutes to get there. And what James is saying to us today is we are that sign. That's your role in the family of God. You are that signpost planted there to warn brothers and sisters among us, straying from the truth, turn around. Whoever turns a sinner, whoever turns around the brother among us, whoever turns him back, saves his life from death and covers a multitude of sins. I love what 1 Kings records and 2 Kings records. It records two separate stories, but very similar stories. One is of Elijah and the other is of Elisha. Both of these men were sent word because a young man, two separate young men, had died. And they want Elisha and Elijah to come and do something about it. So both of these men go to these separate homes, separate families, separate times. And the Bible says that they do the same thing. When they get in with the young man who was dead, it says they stretch out their bodies over the young man and, and then they pray. And when they stretched out and when they prayed, both young men, they came back to life. Well, Acts chapter 20 tells a hilarious story. The Apostle Paul was preaching. He's one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived, but he, he was not super interesting. 
And I know that from Acts chapter 20, because Acts chapter 20 says that the Apostle Paul is droning on and on and on and on. And there's a young man named Eutychus, and Eutychus is falling asleep, but he's sitting in the window ledge, and he falls asleep because the Apostle Paul is like on hour three, hour four, hour five. Some of you can't tolerate like 30 minutes of me. Imagine Paul. You would not get your Sunday nap. He would rob you of your divine rap, right of a Sunday afternoon nap. He's preaching on. Eutychus falls asleep. The Bible says falls out the window and dies. So it's a good Sunday today if all of you just make it to your cars. Now, once you're in your car, that's on your own thing. That's not my responsibility anymore. But as long as you don't die in this room, then it's been a good Sunday for me. Eutychus dies Because Paul was preaching, falls out the window, dies. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul comes out and it says he falls on top. He stretches out over Eutychus and he prays for him and Eutychus comes back to life. So we're reading in James that when a sinner is turned back, when a brother among us is turned back, a multitude of our sins is covered. How does that happen? It happens when Jesus stretches out his wounded body over us when he stretches out his arms with their nail pierced scars and his side and his feet when he stretches out over you so that's the gospel today that's the good news today the good news is not church it's not the good news the good news is not Six ways to be a better dad. That's not the good news. The good news is that the only person on earth who has ever been sinless is willing to stretch his sinless, wounded body over you so that what Isaiah prophesied would happen. By his wounds, we are healed. And he takes that debt that our sin has racked up And he removes it from us and he removes it as far as the east is from the west. So when a sinner is turned back, when a brother among us is turned back, we're saved from death and our sins are covered. We are signposts and Jesus is the Savior. I want to be clear this morning that we are not the Savior. You may have somebody certain in your heart right now. You're like, man, I wish they were here for this message because they have strayed from the truth. And your heart is connected to their heart. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're one of your children. Maybe they're a good friend. Maybe they're somebody you work with. Maybe they're a Facebook friend. Whatever it is. And your heart's connected with them this morning. And you're like, they've strayed from the truth. And I want to be a part of it. As you begin to enter into that relationship, you need to remember that you are a signpost. You are not a savior. Because there's something in many of us called a savior complex. We all have this desire in us to rescue somebody else. You like to rescue your little brother when he got in trouble when you were little. You just like to help people. You like to be there on the front line. And that's all positive. But there's something in us that takes it a little too far. Where we are more than signposts, we become saviors. So here's... A way, a few ways that we can know that we're operating out of this savior complex. First, if you are their only hope, 
you know that you're operating out of a savior complex. Listen, their hope has a name and it's not on your birth certificate. You are never anyone's only hope. First of all, you can't do it. You cannot deliver on that promise. If you are promising them or acting as if you are their only hope, you will not be able to come through. And they will be wounded because of your weak word. So you should not claim that you are their only hope. Jesus is their hope. He is their savior. You know, we slip into this mode, I think most of us, because of lack of patience. God is not working in their life fast enough. They are not helping themselves fast enough. So fine, I'll do it myself. I got to be the one to get in there. I got to be the one to make this happen. I got to be the one to move the ball forward. I got to be the one to drive the car. I got to be the one to show up. I got to be the one to take you to your appointments. I got to be the one. 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 And if right now you feel like someone's only hope, you can know you're not operating out of the grace that God has given you. You're operating more like a savior and less like a signpost. Number two, if you are tempted by what has trapped them, if you are tempted by what has trapped them, Jude one twenty three says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Their current trap could become your future trap. And so if you're in the battle with somebody right now, if you're trying to help turn them around and their trap becomes your temptation, you need to walk away need to walk away. Jude says, yeah, we want to snatch people from the fire, but we do so with fear because we hate the garment even stained by the flesh. We don't want to get connected to what they have connected themselves to. Listen, our our enemy, Satan, he is crafty and he would love to pull you into the hole that you are trying to pull them out of. So if right now, you're like, you know what, I'm, try- I'm trying to help this guy. I'm trying to help this guy out of his porn addiction. And you start feeling that in you. You walk away. You're like, well, I can't abandon him. Listen, you are a signpost and not a savior. You were never their only hope to begin with. Number three, if other believers can't seem to get behind your rescue mission, You know, followers of Jesus in general are compassionate, loving, kind, and filled with grace. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. Followers of Jesus are like this. Now, we don't get it perfect every time, but in general, this is what you find when you bump into somebody who has made Jesus their Lord. So as you tell your story of how you're in the midst of helping this person, about how important it is and how important they are. And no one seems to be able to join you in that rescue mission. You need to stop and evaluate. Because if the people of Jesus are pausing, then you might want to pause. God speaks through the collective will of his church. And if you are the only one that can get into this, and other compassionate and grace-filled and kind people otherwise, 
have some reservations, then you too should have some reservations. You know, Jesus told us without hesitation to go the second mile. Remember he said that. You go the extra mile. Without hesitation, you go the extra mile. If everyone else in your life is willing to go mile one and they quit at mile one, you go mile two. Without hesitation, you go the second mile. But a third mile, you stop and you pray and you discern. And some of us are right now are on our not third mile with somebody, our fourth mile and our fifth mile and our sixth mile. And you are not their only hope. And then the last one, if you harm many to help one, you're operating out of a savior complex. You're being more than a signpost. If you harm many to help one, the rehabilitation of one is not an excuse for the demolition of many. The rehabilitation of one is not an excuse for the demolition of many. If right now all of your loyalty and all of your thought and all of your energy and all of your prayer and all of your compassion is just being aimed at one person at the expense of other people in your life, beware. Beware. Something is off. Something is wrong. And you are operating as a savior and not as a signpost. We're just signposts. Just warning signs, encouraging signs for people, brothers among us to turn around, for sinners to turn around and head the right direction. So what are the steps? Give me some steps. I want to finish with some steps. Luke chapter 19. We can learn from Jesus. Luke chapter 19. Verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was but was not able to because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So when we have people that we care about, brothers among us, unbelievers among us, we want them to turn around, our hearts are open to them, what do we do? Step one, we see. Step one, we see. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus up in that tree. Now if you, you rewind a little bit to Luke and then you fast forward from this story, you, you see that Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission to Jerusalem. He's on a mission for the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on a mission towards Golgotha. He's on a mission towards the empty garden tomb. This is his mission. But he still stops and sees and takes notice of Zacchaeus. Whatever mission you are on in life, if your mission does not have time for people, it is a bad mission. If your to-do list is never more than tasks, 
Your soul is currently drying up as we speak. You have to stop. You have to see. Step number two, you have to stop. Jesus had to stop. I know you know this. Uh, it was a major holiday on Thursday, but Thursday was National High Five Day. In fact, why don't you stop and just give a high five to somebody? If you didn't give a high five to somebody on Thursday, there we go. There we go. So we celebrated. It's National High Five Day. You know what a high five is for? A high five is for saying, I see you, but I don't have time to stop and talk to you. That's what it is. Now, not the one you just gave. That was obviously from the bottom of your heart. But you give somebody a high five on your way past them. But if we're going to be signposts that can turn people around, we have to stop. We have to slow down just like Jesus did. Step number three, we have to speak. Jesus had to say something to Zacchaeus. He had to say, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I must stay at your house. Signposts without words are just decorations. And you don't want to just be another decorative thing along the wrong path for someone you care about. You don't want to add beauty alongside the road that leads to destruction. Your sign needs to say something. And it's hard. It's hard because we're good people. It's hard because we're, we have good people skills and we don't want to be awkward people. And if you do like to be awkward, we have a class for you after church is over because you're wrong and bad and we want to be good people. We want to be nice people. We don't want to be weird people. We're already weird because we follow Jesus and come to church every week. We don't want to be weird because we're just weird. Right? So a lot of us, we don't say anything. We don't say anything in the name of being normal, in the name of not making it awkward. But listen, if it's somebody you care about, eventually you're going to have to speak up because a signpost without word is just a decoration. So what do you say? We don't have to come up with a plan. First, you take them to lunch. And you buy their lunch. People always receive better news if you've bought their food. Hey, let me get that cup of coffee. Let me get it for you. It's a gift. And you sit them down and you just talk. And an easy entry is, hey, tell me about it. Hey, I've, I've been noticing that you've been mentioning this lady's name a bunch that you work with. Tell me about that. I noticed I notice that you've, you've not been around lately. Tell me about that. Man, I've missed you at church the last couple of months. Tell me about it. It's just a conversation. You don't have to have the end of the conversation in mind. Just tell me about it. Because you're not the Savior. You're just the signpost, but the signpost has to have words See, stop, speak, and finally stay. Stay. Jesus had to go to Zacchaeus' house. You have to stay. You have to stay with the person. You, you don't have the conversation over lunch and then just say, well, I'll never see you again. Our friendship is over. And you stay. And you wait. And you're patient. And when that happens, 
you get a front row seat for the turnaround. And listen, there is nothing better than having a front row seat to the turnaround. And that's all James is saying to us today. He's saying that God wants to use us as a sign, not a savior as a sign. And we get the privilege and opportunity to be there when people realize, you know what, I'm on the wrong way and I want to get on the right way. Let's pray. So God, we help. We need your help. We need your help. Some of us need your help to see. We need to open our eyes. We need to get out of our to-do list. Our mission in life needs to be expanded so that it can include some people. Some of us need help to stop. We're so busy. Our lives are in constant motion that we wouldn't have time to spare for a Zacchaeus. Some of us need help to speak up. Lord, don't let fear and anxiousness give us a front row seat to watch someone we care about be destroyed. Give us the courage, the wisdom to say something. Father, we need your help to stay. We need your help to endure. We need your help to linger. And most of all, by your power, by the help that comes from your right hand, let us be doers of your word and not hearers only today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet?